Well, good morning to all of you here in the sanctuary, to those of you online, Fairfax, Fellowship Hall, wherever you are, welcome. And if this is your first time, we're especially glad that you have joined us today. We're coming to the third sentence in Ephesians, believe it or not. So we are coming to our third sermon as well. Uh, Last week, uh, Rob walked us through the prior sentence, uh, this amazing section of praise where Paul stretches language to the absolute limit, talking about who God is, what he has done for us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today, Paul is going to change keys as he moves from praise to prayer. He's moving from praise to prayer. He slows down and he asks God to make these beautiful truths, which he's just explained, real to the depths of our being. And so let's pray in that same vein and ask that God would do the same for us today. So let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, all of us, all of us in this room, all of us in our living rooms, all of us today are looking everywhere. We're looking in books and on social media and in the world for words that have meaning and power. So please help me to speak in such a way that we would see an abundant life that Jesus has promised to give us. In his name we pray, amen. I wonder how many of you know this feeling, that feeling of facing a difficult task, that feeling of knowing you have to have a hard conversation, that feeling of a never-ending struggle. You know that thing you know you should do, but you're just not sure you can do it? Well, I do. I've had those feelings and those thoughts many times over the last 13 plus months especially as I've wrestled with the enormous privilege and responsibility of leading this church as the acting senior pastor and thinking about the future. And I think that I'm not alone in this feeling. I think that all of us have this feeling at one time or another in our life. Am I enough? Do I have what it takes? Maybe you feel that way when you're thinking about the pressures in your job. Maybe you feel that way when you're thinking about your marriage. Maybe you're thinking about that when you're thinking about your children. Maybe you're thinking that when you think about your parents who just don't seem to understand or get you at times. And what do you do when you feel this way? And for those of you who pray, what do you pray when you're facing these difficult circumstances? Well, this year, I've been so grateful for many friends and mentors in my life who have asked me insightful questions, and they've given me wisdom, encouragement, and guidance. And as I've wrestled with my own inadequacy, my own insecurity, my own incompetence over this past year, these friends that I have have reminded me of several truths. And I took them and I summarized them in, into five principles that I, I try to read every day and, and, and have guided me uh, over this last year. And I want to share with you uh, one of these principles 
uh, today that's based on this unexpected prayer in Ephesians. But before I share that principle, I want us to ask two questions of this text. What does Paul pray that we may have? And then how do we get it? Okay. What does Paul pray that we may have? And then how do we get it? All right. First question. What does Paul pray that we may have? Now, if you noticed, this is a long sentence, right? With a bunch of commas. So what is the central point of this sentence? We need to break it down a little bit because there's a lot of moving parts. And if you cut through all the clauses, I think you would settle on verses 16 and 17. And it's this, Paul prays this. He says, I pray that you would know him. That's what it boils down to, boils. I pronounce that in my Tennessee accent. We don't say boils, boils down to. That's what Paul prays it boils down to, right? I pray that you would know him. Very simply put, Paul is praying that we, that we would know who God is. Okay, think about a few things that he's not praying for here, right? He's not praying for all the things that he just described in the previous sentence. He's not praying for redemption. He's not praying for glory. He's not praying for adoption. Why? Because we already have them. We, We already have them in Christ. He's just praying that we would know, that we would realize, that we would believe, and that we would understand these truths more fully. We don't have enough time to go into all the difficult circumstances that the church at Ephesus and in Asia Minor were facing. But if you go back to Acts 19, there were like city riots. There was all kinds of crazy, difficult circumstances. And hear this, okay? It's appropriate to pray for difficult circumstances. We're taught to pray for our daily bread. But I want you to see in this moment, primarily, that Paul is not praying for their circumstances. He's not even praying for their sufferings or their great dangers. But instead, he is praying that they would know God. Could it be that our greatest need and our greatest purpose regardless of our circumstances, is to know God. And a couple of things we need to say about that. It's not to simply know the Bible or to know facts about God or theology or salvation, but that we would actually know God and experience salvation through his word. Do you know another danger that we have, not just learning about God, but but another danger that we have is simply knowing about someone else's experience with God, right? We, We listen to a celebrity preacher, we listen to a podcast, or we read their blog, and these can be good, but we need a firsthand personal encounter with God. We don't just need to hear about their experience with God, which does help us and which does bless us, but we ourselves need a personal experience with God. 
Because I think if most of us are honest in this room, especially those of us who have grown up in the church or who have called ourselves Christians for a long time, most of us, if we're honest, are educated beyond our obedience to God and our intimacy with God. Let me say that again. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience to God or our intimacy with God. There is a difference between knowing about God's love and experiencing it. Many of you would know the name Jonathan Edwards, and I love the way that he explains this. He says, thus, there is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. Someone may have the former that knows not how honey tastes, but a man can't have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. So there is a difference between believing that a person is beautiful and having a sense of his beauty. Paul prays this, that we wouldn't just know about God, but that we would know God. The heart of the Christian faith is to know God more fully. So where do we start? Where do we start? Well, good thing is, Paul prays specifically for us to know three components of what is ours in the gospel, okay? Looking at verse uh, 18, we can comprehend three things, okay? The first of these is this. Paul is praying for a fuller knowledge of God that it would impact our hope. Look down at verse 18, sort of at the middle of it. It says, to know what is the hope to which he has called you. Because of God's calling on us, we have a hope that nothing can take away. And we should begin with the fact that God saw us and he called us. What did Ephesians 1.4 say? He called us before the foundation of the world, before creation. He called us. He set his love on us. What does 1 John 4, 19 tell us? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Do you know what this means? Just think about it for a few minutes. There is nothing about us that God does not already know. Nothing that you do in your life is going to surprise him. And do you know what else it means? It means that there is no chance for us to earn his love or to prove our worth. So friends, that should comfort us. It means that he's not going to reject us. It means that he's not going to shame us over our next mistake or sin. The fact that God knows us leads us to biblical hope. And biblical hope is very different from the way that we use the word hope. 
We use the word hope as basically like feeble optimism or wishful thinking. I I hope traffic's not going to be bad. I hope the nationals are are going to win. But, but, But biblical hope is talking about a certainty of things to come. And so, friends, our future is secure because it is not based on our performance but on his love. And because of that, we can have hope, biblical hope, a certainty of what is to come. So that's the first thing that Paul prays that we would comprehend in knowing God. But the second thing that he prays that we would comprehend as we know God is our value. Look again at verse 18. Paul prays that we would know What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the uh, the saints? Now, this is an interesting verse, and commentators will say it could mean one of two things. Both of them are fantastic, but I'm quite taken with one more over the other. And I think that this is actually talking not about our inheritance, but about God's inheritance. What do I mean by that? I think this phrase is saying that we, we as Christians are God's inheritance and we are his greatest treasure. So that with all of our flaws, with all of our failures, with all of our shortcomings, friends, we are not simply tolerated by God today, but we are celebrated and we are enjoyed by him today. Think about what he gave up to make us his own. And that begins to tell us how valued we are in the eyes of God. You see, friends, when we know this, when we see ourselves as God sees us, And as God sees others, that makes us live differently. That despite all the things that we have done and not done, despite all the things that have even been done to us, we are not considered a mess, a failure, or a a reject in God's eyes. Our worth is infinite because God has declared us as his inheritance. That gives you and I value. But there's a third thing. There's a third thing that Paul prays that we would comprehend as we know God. And that's really in verses 19 through 23. And it's summarized by this phrase, that we would know the immeasurable greatness towards us the immeasurable greatness towards us. And Paul goes on to describe this greatness, that we have the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead and defeated evil. There is power beyond anything that we can imagine. And it's exhibited when God said, awake to Jesus in the tomb, and he walked out from death. He's saying, you and I have resurrection power. And I love what I heard one preacher say. He said, you know, 
Resurrection power, that's a pretty big deal. But I was thinking like creation power was a bigger deal, right? Like creation power, something from nothing. But then he said he thought about it and he said, you know what? Something from nothing, I mean, that's great power. But resurrection power is not something from nothing. It's life from death. And friends, that tells us that out of bad things, God can bring good things. Out of ugliness, he can bring beauty. And that's what Paul prays that we would comprehend. That resurrection power brings life from death, good things from bad things, and all the political power in the world can't keep us from sin. It can't restrain the evil in our hearts. Only the power of God can change you and me and our world. And so friends, if you felt afraid, if you felt weak, if you felt trapped, I want you to know that there's power for your present moment. Our ability to change is possible because the power of God is at work in us. So what does Paul pray? In summary, this is what he prays. Paul prays that we would have an awakening, that our hope is secure, that our worth is infinite, and our power is great. And I don't know about you, but I want that. And I think that's something that all humans need. And so that brings us to the next question. How do we get it? How do we get that knowledge of God? Well, two ways. First, by recognizing this. This kind of knowledge, it can't be found, it must be given. This kind of knowledge can't be found, it must be given. Look back at verse 17. Paul doesn't begin by asking us to do something, but by asking God to do something, to give us his spirit and revelation and to have the eyes of our heart opened and enlightened. And if you're here today thinking you've just wasted your time for the last 20 minutes talking about things that you can't actually have, that Christianity is only for a certain kind of person, <laughs> well, friends, I want you to know that that's not the God that I know. The God that I know is not hidden away. He isn't hard to find. He isn't holding back. But on the contrary, the God that I know delights to show himself to people who simply come to him. And it's his great joy to open blind eyes and to soften hard hearts. God will give this knowledge to anyone who will ask for it. If you desire redemption, if you desire glory, if you desire adoption, if you desire things that will never fade, never perish, or never change, then you can have it today in Christ. All we have to do is call out to him to admit our spiritual blindness and to ask his spirit to come and open our eyes so that we can truly and deeply know God. So first, knowledge can't be found. It must be given. 
And if you ask for it, you'll receive it. But second, we get this kind of knowledge by doing what Paul does. What does he do in verse 16? He prays. (laughs) There's a novel concept. We go to God directly asking that we would not just be about learning about God, but that we would know God intimately, passionately, deeply. You know, I love this about where I went to seminary at Reformed Theological. They challenged us on the very first day that when you study the Bible that you're going to do over these next few years, don't just pursue it as an academic exercise, but every time you open the Word of God, there is an opportunity to know God. And before you start studying anything, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. It's one of the most simple things that we can do, and God loves to answer that prayer. Pray it. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for someone in your family, in your community group, in your neighborhood. And most of all, pray it for this church family. You know, I came across something that the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that I think is very applicable to us. He says, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes. His face is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother from whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. In this season of transition, in this pandemic, in this cultural moment of increasing polarization and outrage, can you imagine how much better and healthier that we would become as a church family if we prayed like this? If we prayed for each other to have a knowledge of God that transforms us? So how do we get this knowledge of God? In summary, we get an awakening grace by recognizing that we can't find it on our own, but it must be given, and by praying for ourselves, for others, and for this church family. So going back to the beginning of the sermon, talking about the principles that my friends have guided me with this last year. This is how I summarize this principle from this prayer of Paul. This church, this job, my family, these things are not my life. Jesus is my life. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to make Jesus our hope for the future. And that what God thinks of me is most important and to depend on his Holy Spirit power for everything. Nothing in this world, not even the good things, good things, work is a good thing, Family is an amazing thing. They are incredible blessings in my life, but Jesus is my life. And Christian, 
that is true for you too. Our greatest need is not a new senior pastor. Our greatest need is not relief from COVID-19. Our greatest need is not more political power, but that we would have a deeper knowledge of God, a deeper knowledge of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the core of your being and to the bottom of your toes that that's really our greatest need? Because if we do, then we will pursue that more than anything else in our life. And friends, this is not a denial of hard circumstances, but it's a vision to see them through the lens of the gospel, that God is with us in the midst of them, and that we have hope, riches, and power because of his amazing grace. Friends, all that we long for is already ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul prays for these churches. What my friends pray for me and what I wake up most days and ask the Lord to remind me and this church that knowing God, being awakened to his grace is the one thing that can change us. And when we are amazed at who God is and what he has done for us, then false saviors lose their grip on us and the captivating power of sin is broken in our hearts and in our lives. And I would ask you and I would encourage you to talk to the Lord, to pray, to ask him to give me, to give us awakening grace so that we will know God and we will be open, that our eyes will be opened to the beauty of the gospel. Friends, we've been given everything that we need for this moment. We've been given everything that we need for this moment. So don't let our feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, and incompetence leave us paralyzed and afraid because we have been empowered by God for this time. Yes, we are inadequate on our own, but God is more than enough. Yes, we are insecure on our own, but God has set his love on us. And yes, even we don't like to admit this, DC folks, we are incompetent on our own, but God has what it takes. In Christ, you have what it takes to love your spouse, to share the gospel, to forgive a friend, and to fight your temptations. So friends, let's pray as Paul prayed, that our hearts would be continually awakened to a grace that not only forgives, but empowers us to live with joyful obedience. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we've heard your word and we now come to the table, that you would open our eyes, that you would awaken our senses to the beauty of the gospel. Father, do this because we need it and do this because you've promised to do it and do this because it will bring you glory. Help us to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.